Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. If you have been following news recently out of the Korean peninsula, you might have seen reports that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un was gravely ill. He had, according to the reports, undergone heart surgery and was fighting for his life. The thing is, we have no way of knowing whether or not this is true. And it is that uncertainty and the paucity of reliable information about North Korea that makes a rumor like this an important story. On the line with me to discuss the significance of the rumor of Kim Jong-un's ill health is Patricia Kim. She is the senior policy analyst with the China program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. We kick off briefly discussing the origins of this rumor before having a broader and I think more important conversation about how North Korea experts and watchers try to parse stories like this to get to the truth. And to that end, we discuss what we know and what we don't know about the impact of COVID-19 on North Korea, and then discuss the current state of play of nuclear diplomacy. A couple of announcements before we start. The bonus episode that I have posted this week is my conversation with Richard Haas. He is the longtime head of the Council on Foreign Relations. And in this conversation, like in my other bonus episodes, we have a long discussion about his life and career and the historic foreign policy moments in which his life and career intersected. To access that, please go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. Also, if you are listening to this episode contemporaneously and it is still before April 29th, then I would love to have you join me in a live virtual taping of the podcast. In partnership with the Leadership Group for Industry Transition and the Stockholm Environment Institute, I am moderating and hosting a live virtual taping of the podcast around the question of how to make the COVID-19 recovery sustainable, just, and resilient. We have an all-star panel lined up, including Isabella Löfven, who is the Minister for Environment and Climate and the Deputy Prime Minister of Sweden, Henrik Henriksson, who is the CEO of Scania, Rachel Kite, who is the Dean of the Fletcher School at Tufts University, and Michael Lazarus, who is a senior scientist and U.S. Center Director of the Stockholm Environment Institute. This promises to be a really interesting conversation. There will be plenty of opportunity for audience participation. I will make sure of it. So please follow the links on globaldispatchespodcast.com to register. Thank you. And now here is my conversation with Patricia Kim of the U.S. Institute of Peace. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. 
Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So basically, ever since Kim Jong-un missed the April 15th celebrations for the birthday of his grandfather and the founder of North Korea, Kim Il-sung, which is one of the biggest days on North Korea's calendar, um, we began to see speculations in the media about Kim's health, given the fact that he had never missed this commemoration since taking over as top leader in 2011. Uh, So the rumors were supported by a a report in the Daily NK, which is a Seoul-based news site that gathers information from uh, North Koreans uh, that stated that Kim Jong-un may have undergone a heart procedure somewhere outside of Pyongyang. And then days later, we saw CNN publish an article citing an unnamed U.S. official suggesting that Kim Jong-un might be in critical condition after undergoing surgery. I want to talk to you about how we know what we know about North Korea. Uh, But before we do, like, how are you assessing the veracity of these rumors? Yeah. So the thing with North Korea is that it's incredibly difficult to know what's going on inside the country, given um, just how closed and secretive and isolated it is, and especially the whereabouts and workings of the top leadership. Uh, So when these rumors first, first broke out earlier this week, Even U.S. officials from the National Security Advisor to President Trump were saying, well, they don't know exactly what condition Kim is in. They don't know what to make of these rumors. Although I think uh, President Trump stated last night in his press conference that the rumors seem to be false. Having said that, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, The South Korean government, which is usually very informed as well, has gone on the record stating that there doesn't seem to be any unusual activity in North Korea but it hasn't provided you know, any more detail. And finally, the North Korean state media has been silent throughout uh, this week as well. So it hasn't really stepped up in any way to deny or confirm the rumors that are going around. So all of this is to say is that you know, it's, with North Korea, it's very difficult to know what's going on inside the country, given how opaque it is. So a lot of times, you know, North Korea watchers are sort of guessing by, you know, following North Korean state media, scrutinizing its official announcements and official photos and and so on. Um, But it's, you know, it's very hard to find accurate reporting. What's your best guess about what's happening right now? Uh, (laughs) I think a sigh is an appropriate response to that question, (laughs) given given what you just said. I'm in the same position as you. So it's not like I'm privileged to extra information. I am sort of monitoring um, all of the news reports out there. I'm trying to see what U.S. intelligence officials are saying. It seems like it is it is um, a big deal that Kim Jong-un didn't show up to the April 15th celebrations. Um, and so I think that's where the rumor started about his health and the fact that he is missing from the picture during this critical holiday um, is is something of note. But why he's missing, you know, it's hard to tell at this point. So this incident, this rumor seems to raise questions around regime stability and succession. What do we know about what that succession might look like? Uh, So it's unclear whether there is a succession plan in place for after Kim Jong-un. But what what we do know is that North Korea has been run by the Kim family regime since its founding in 1948. 
Um, so Kim Il-sung, the North Korea's founder, basically ruled from 48 to 1994. And then his son, Kim Jong-il, took over from 94 to 2011. And finally, Kim Jong-il's son, uh, Kim Jong-un, which, who is the current leader, has been in power since 2011. Now, each time power has transferred between the Kims, there has been a clearly designated successor. Um, so Kim Jong-un was heir apparent, actually, for I think two or so decades. And Kim Jong-un was uh, brought out into the political um, sphere by his father in 2010, at least a year before he passed. And so there was a clear succession plan in place. Uh, but right now, there doesn't seem to be um, a, a designated heir to Kim Jong-un. And so that's why there's also a lot of uncertainty and, and questions about what would happen if Kim Jong-un were to suddenly you know, uh, die or go away from the scene. And there's been a lot of speculation that perhaps Kim Jong-un's younger sister, Kim Yo-jong, uh, would, would fill that vacuum. So Kim Yo-jong is believed to be in her early 30s. Uh, she's currently in charge of North Korea's propaganda affairs. And earlier this month, she was made an alternate member of the powerful Politburo. Uh, so Kim... Uh, Kim Yo-jong has been by Kim Jong-un's side in a lot of his most important diplomatic outings. So she was with him both in Hanoi and in Singapore when he met with President Trump. She also went um, to represent him at the opening of the Pyeongchang Olympics in Seoul in uh, 2018. And so she's really sort of been by his side in all of these signature moments. And so there's a lot of speculation that if Kim Jong-un were to die, she would be the she would step up as a leader. But having said that, you know, she hasn't been officially designated in, in any way. Um, and experts also, you know, certain experts say, well, it, it may not be possible to have a female leader in North Korea, um, just given the patriarchal structure in that country. Uh, so no one really knows, but she would be sort of uh, a, an obvious pick. Others have talked about, you know, perhaps there might be a collective leadership that would be uh, headed by Kim Yo-jong as sort of like the, the figurehead at the top, but with other people behind her. But again, this is all speculation and it's hard to tell. So, I mean, another sort of cloud of uncertainty hanging over this situation is the impact of COVID-19 in North Korea. Presumably, you know, just given the... Um, the state of the healthcare system in the country and the conditions in which many people in North Korea live, you know, presumably COVID-19 would be taking a, a heavy toll. On the other hand, given its relative isolation, maybe not. Um, I, I don't know, like, how are you assessing the impact of, of COVID-19 in North Korea right now? Yeah, so on COVID-19 in North Korea, um, North Korea is still reporting no officially confirmed cases of the coronavirus, although I think it's impossible to believe that statistic given um, sort of the reality that it's next to China and South Korea, which have some of the largest outbreaks in the region. Um, having said that, there's a lot of debate about the extent to which the virus has spread in the country. So North Korea actually took action very early, early on, closing its borders uh, to China in the third week of January. So it suspended all tourism and trade. It canceled all flights to and from China. And it also quarantined every foreigner and North Korean national returning from abroad. So it took very strict measures 
Um, and and can can I just ask you and, and stop you there? I mean, that seems really significant, just to the extent that you know North Korea and you know China is North Korea's major trading partner and you know major way in which goods get into North Korea. That's right. Uh, but I think you know North Korean leaders made this decision because they understand more than anyone else that North Korea's poor health infrastructure. Um, and its proximity to coronavirus hotspots make it especially vulnerable to the virus. Um, so it could be the case that by taking such drastic steps, um, they it helped flatten the curve early on. Uh, but again, we don't know how much the virus has or hasn't spread in the country. But according to media reports that I've seen, um, North Korea apparently expressed an interest in officially resuming trade and opening the border with China on April 15th. But that uh, request was rejected by China, who wanted to push out the date by several weeks. Um, and I think this is because now that China has emerged from the worst of the coronavirus, it's very keen to control its borders and prevent any large second outbreaks. Um, so if you if you see in the news reports this week, China has been um, actually very worried about its northeast region where it's seeing a new surge of case, cases in the Heilongjiang province. So these sorts of I think for those reasons, uh, China, China may not want to open the border with North Korea, despite North Korea having shut it down in January. So, you know, we're having these kind of twin issues, this question and rumors over Kim's health plus COVID-19 layering on top of an already fraught nuclear situation in terms of diplomacy with North Korea. I know earlier this year, at the very start of the year, North Korea um, and Kim Jong-un made some sort of blustery remarks about potentially, you know, restarting testing. Where are we right now? in terms of diplomacy with North Korea? Has this global pandemic sort of put the brakes on any any diplomacy that might have been happening? Actually, I would say that nuclear diplomacy with North Korea has been stalled uh, even before the coronavirus. So um, the coronavirus situation has certainly exacerbated it. But basically, talks between the United States and North Korea have been stalled since President Trump and Kim Jong-un's second summit in Hanoi in February of last year. Um, and as you probably remember, at that point, talks ended in Hanoi without any sort of signed agreement because North Korea wanted full sanctions relief in exchange for very incremental steps in denuclearization, uh, which the United States saw as a non-starter. And so since then, despite a handful of attempts to restart working level talks, uh, we really haven't gone anywhere. And so uh, ever since then, North Korea has essentially been continuing to um, produce nuclear materials, advances, advance its nuclear capabilities. It's been increasing missile testing below the threshold of conducting an ICBM or nuclear test, which the Trump administration and probably China would see as a red line. Uh, we also see, uh, saw a return to using threatening language. So over the holidays last year, North Korea announced that it would, you know, give the United States a Christmas president, uh, excuse me, Christmas present, which we thought might be an ICBM test. Now, Christmas came and went without any, any sort of provocation. And since then, um, the coronavirus outbreak has sort of, you know, um, overlaid all of this. But I think the point is that um, those talks have remained stalled. I think Kim Jong-un is probably frustrated um, for being unable to deliver sanctions relief despite making claims. 
in 2018 that North Korea was ready to open up to the world. It would now focus on economic development. And it could be the case that he may be watching to see how U.S. elections pan out before making his next big move. So is really the the U.S. elections the next kind of big potential inflection point for diplomacy with North Korea? I mean, are there any other opportunities uh, or pathways forward that might sort of come sooner? I mean, frankly, I don't see... With North Korea, who knows? I mean, they can conduct a provocation anytime they want. So it could certainly come before the elections. Maybe it'll come around the elections. North Korea has been known to conduct provocations around U.S. holidays and significant um, events just to sort of grab the attention. But, um, you know, so but I think North Koreans probably realize with President Trump right now facing re-election, they're probably not going to get another summit or any sort of agreement. Again, talks have remained stalled. Um, if we weren't in the middle of a global pandemic, perhaps the fact that Moon Jae-in, um, so the South Korean ruling party, was, uh, had an enormous electoral success last week. And so they've always been much more sort of pro-engagement with North Korea. So perhaps if we were in a coronavirus-free world, um, we might have seen more moves by South Korea to try to reach out and sort of kick up diplomacy, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think basically everyone in the region, and especially the main players when it comes to diplomacy with North Korea, such as South Korea, China, and the United States, are all very much preoccupied with fighting the coronavirus at home and dealing with the economic uncertainty that has accompanied this global pandemic. And so I don't really see much uh, movement when it comes to uh, diplomacy with North Korea anytime uh, in the coming months. Uh, I mean, has China's overall strategic approach to North Korea changed or shifted or been informed in any way because of the the pandemic? I mean, it's always seemingly been the case that their top priority was stability in North Korea. They did not want to see a failed state at their border, um, despite the fact that they were not pleased with North Korea's nuclear provocations. I mean, it seems to me, as China is intensely fighting COVID-19, they are probably even more interested in stability in in North Korea and preventing a a failed state. No, that's right. Uh, For China, the number one priority when it comes to the Korean Peninsula is stability. It does not want war on its doorstep. And that has always been sort of the driving interest behind how it handles North Korea. Um, So, like I said, I think China is very much consumed with the coronavirus at home. So it it will obviously want stability along its borders. Um, But I don't think that this means Beijing will take its uh, doesn't care about the issue of North Korea any longer. Um, I think we can count on the fact that. China has a fundamental interest in having a hand in the current and future order of the Korean Peninsula. Um, So perhaps when diplomacy picks back up, we will see China sort of wanting to get back to the table. Um, But for now, I think it's fully consumed with the coronavirus. It wants stability. And so it's not going to be um, taking a leading role or, uh, or an active role either on the issue. Thank you so much, Patricia. Okay, great. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Patricia. And as I mentioned at the outset, I would so love to have you join that live virtual taping of the podcast on April 29th. I hope you can make it. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.